1: Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football Pac-12 champion. USC Trojans, first time you can say that since 2008. We're going to talk with Dan Weber, who was up there in Santa Clara, with myself and the rest of the USCfootball.com team. We'll talk about the game, which does seem like it was a long time ago, even though it's only Tuesday, but we wanted to uh, talk about that. We got a bunch of questions about the team, the game, uh, USC playing Ohio State. Uh, in the Cotton Bowl. So, a lot of questions, and uh, we'll get to as many as we can. And we got a few weeks to uh, kind of preview this game, and we'll we'll keep answering your questions. So, keep sending them in. We appreciate it. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or you can call or text to 424 254 9141. Please go to you know, subscribe uh, on whatever podcasting app you like. We're on iTunes, itunes.com Parastyle Podcast. Leave us a five star rating. Positive comments. All that stuff is great. Helps propagate the show. Other USC Trojan fans can find it. Uh, this was our 10th football season covering the USC Trojans. And the season's over. USC finishes 11-2. and two, And we want to talk to Dan Weber about all of that. What is up, Dan? How are you doing, man?
2: You're right. It is a, uh, that's, I guess that's the problem playing those Friday night games. That uh, When you get to Tuesday, it does really seem like a a long time away, and uh, now that I think about it, looking at the uh, Cotton Bowl, it will be USC's third Friday night game of the year. So, the Friday night specialists, I'm not sure there's anybody in the country who's played more than uh, three uh, Friday night games.
1: No, and uh, we actually got some, I think some questions talking about that with the Pac-12 schedule. We'll, we'll get into like all that kind of stuff a little bit later on, but yeah, we all were expecting the... the uh, uh, Fiesta Bowl, which would have been a Saturday. This one's on December 29th. So it's weird to have a New Year's Six Bowl on December 29th. It seems like more of a an Alamo or a Holiday Bowl sort of day. Uh, but classic uh, Rose Bowl matchup with Ohio State. So I think USC fans should be pretty happy with this one and a really nice opportunity. I think if you finish off beating Stanford for the championship and then beating Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, Georgia fans should feel pretty good about the season, even though there was no playoff.
2: Yeah, I mean, I honestly challenge, uh, uh, let's say in Alabama, I don't know that they could be, they would beat, uh, Stanford twice. Uh, don't know the only good team they played all year was, uh, was Auburn who didn't make the playoffs and they lost to them. So, you know, I think, I think USC probably hasn't gotten as much credit for beating Stanford twice. I mean, Notre Dame couldn't beat them. Couldn't come close at the end. Uh, Washington couldn't beat them. So, uh. I think I think the the Stanford the two wins over Stanford is a bigger deal than anybody has uh, has made out, and it's kind of a shame that it kind of got lost on a Friday night. As uh, as a, you know, by the time Saturday came around last weekend, everybody was talking about all the other championship games, and uh, and you know by the time Sunday came around, it was obvious USC had been you know forgotten as uh, a number eight uh, a number eight team. So. Not sure the Friday night helps it helps USC at all, but uh, you know, being part of the Pac twelve doesn't help U.S.C. either. So uh uh what else does it do?
1: Yeah. Well before we jump into all the questions and talking about the game, wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's been a great sponsor, uh, this football season. We really appreciate them. Fifty years in business. Um any kind of delicious foods you need, beverages, terrific everyday prices, you can go to Trader Joe's. So they've celebrated their 50th anniversary back in August. We had a great event at the USC Village where Trader Joe's is. Um, awesome. I, I want to talk to some of those students. What was it like your first semester living upstairs from a Trader Joe's? I'm sure that would have been awesome when I, when we were in school, I'm sure, to have something like that uh, below us. But um, lot, lots of cool stuff. My favorite, I love going in there and picking up some cheese and a bottle of wine uh, to hang out with my wife. We're going to watch some football uh but really cool, uh different beers, different variety of beers. Um I love trying different things that have weird names, all kinds of fun stuff you could do in there. But you know, you can do your regular shopping there as well. Eggs, milk, bread, butter, all your basics. Uh you have all that. Uh we love picking up frozen foods or frozen dinners that you kind of make up there. it doesn't look like it's it's something that was frozen. You're like, Oh wow, this is great. You know, making Indian food or Chinese food or things like that. So um Ten years running, their best uh, product has been their mandarin orange chicken. So try that if you want to get that. You can get some rice and stuff. But uh, Trader Joe's has been great with us, and we do appreciate uh, appreciate them. Uh, I keep getting requests for those those awesome USC Trader Joe's bags. So maybe they'll have some more of those someday at the USC uh, Trader Joe's location, Dan.
2: Yeah, I saw one last week. Uh, I, I You absolutely noticed them. Uh I won't say where I was when I saw it, but uh, uh, <laughs> the woman that, that had the USC bag was uh, <laughs> made no uh, made no bones about it. And I will tell you, I think you're wrong about the number one dish. The number one dish, clearly, is the corn pudding. Uh, absolutely, to die for, the best, uh, only place you can get it, as far as I, I can tell, is uh, Trader Joe's. But uh, at the holidays, uh, go for the corn pudding uh, from Trader Joe's.
1: Uh-huh. We'll check it out. Um, and we know, we know John Embraer is a big Trader Joe's fan, so maybe we'll start with him. Um, he said, it's great to have USC as the Pac-12 champions once again. And even with the thought of Sam and Rojo leaving, this team has a bright future. I'm already looking forward to watching Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughn, Brandon Peely, Stephen Carr, Josh Follow, and Christian Rector next year, just to name a few. Since you spend a lot of time around the program, what is your sense from Lynn Swan? And the administration that USC is willing to do what it takes to compete with Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, etc. Even UCLA for that matter. Are the USC assistant coaches well paid? And is USC adding uh, support staff for football? Do they realize what the other schools are doing to stay ahead of programs like USC? Thanks for an amazing year of information and insight from your entire, from your entire team uh, at uscfootball.com. Beat the Buckeyes, John Embrea
2: yeah, I, I don't know if they realize at the highest levels what it, what it takes uh, at USC. I just think, I mean, it, it, it has in, increased so exponentially at places like Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson, you know, and uh, Michigan. And programs like that are just doing so much more and paying so much more. And I don't know it necessarily reflected in the assistant coaches, although, you know, when LSU came in to to get Tommy Robinson, obviously they could, you know, throw a lot more, uh, you know, money at him uh, than than USC was going to be able to. But I don't know that that's where, you know, they might be at a disadvantage. I just think the awareness of how much people are doing. uh, USC has been in such a favored situation. You know, with a a, a a much improved you know school academic you know school that's moved into the top twenty five academically and in a great location with a great campus and you know a uh, uh, Los Angeles that has certainly uh, you know the Figueroa corridor and all of that that's happened in Los Angeles makes it such a great place to go to to go to school and the history the tradition all of the th- you know the most NFL guys and all that so much has has made life pretty easy for USC in a lot of ways in terms of competing you know for for recruits and and just competing in general that i don't know that that they th- there's quite the understanding all through the program uh and all through the athletic department and maybe the university of what it takes to compete at the absolute very highest levels and you know I would not think, for example, though, we talk about USC's assistance being paid decently, they're never going to have $4 million plus assistance the way uh, Michigan has. And they're never going to play, pay their defensive coordinator, Monty Kiffin, accepted, unfortunately, $1.8 million a, a year, that kind of thing. Now, Monty was the highest paid uh, assistant coach in the country. That was sort of a package deal, obviously, with Lane. But uh, but I think, you know, I think in general they kind of think they want to do it, but I don't know if they really understand what that means. And, you know, it's an educational process, I think. Uh, not unlike, for example, if you talk to the PAC-12, everybody there will tell you, you know, their goal is to be the Conference of Champions and not just a slogan, and their goal is to compete for national championships and blah, 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 and including football. And yet they don't have the slightest idea what it takes to compete for national championships. So USC's not as, not as far out of it maybe as the Pac-12. But there's a, there are, they really are missing out on some understanding of, of, of what it takes. The Pac-12 may not even be possibly able to get up to speed on what it takes. And even when you explained it to them, they would say things like, well, that would help USC, but how would it help me here at Washington state or Oregon state? So let's don't do that. You know, if you said, let's go to eight games, if everybody else, you know, Atlantic coast conference and and, and the SEC are going to get in with eight game with teams that only played eight, eight conference games, well, then let's do that. And they would say, well, no, we don't get to go to L.A. That's where we get all of our players. And, no, we won't do that. And so um, so you got some issues. It's not just USC. I think it's USC and the Pac-12. And then I think the, the last part of that is USC connecting the understanding of what the Pac-12 is doing to USC. If, if you didn't figure it out this year, maybe you're never going to figure it out. But I think USC has to start exerting – Really serious, sustained pressure on the uh, on the pac twelve and and saying, Look, we believe in competing for national championships, and this is what we need to do, and we think there are enough teams here that actually do believe in that, but if you don't, then maybe we have to look somewhere else because we 're not going to uh, step away from our you know feeling that it's time to get back into the uh, competition. On a yearly basis for uh, for national championships.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk. We got a lot of questions, kind of about the Pac-12 and USC and all that kind of stuff. And I, I went on a little bit of a Twitter rampage and um, about you know, I said I'm going to have two two things I want to harp on this offseason. One, reinstating Reggie Bush um, from his Voldemort status, where he's you know persona non grata, no one's allowed to talk about him, and then two, uh, USC at least exploring. Going independent to to make more money on television revenue and be able to make the playoffs. So we'll get get into that more and probably you know in the other questions too. But I wanted, to, I'll, we'll try to focus on the game for a little while. Then we'll kind of get back to some of that stuff. Um, let's go with Jeremy. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeffrey. He says, "Do you think USC was not aggressive on Stanford's last drive to avoid a penalty, thus stopping the clock?" So I went. Uh, hmm. I'm not sure. I didn't really think of it that way. But what do you think, Dan?
2: Yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't know that specifically I think you know I think they were trying to avoid a penalty to avoid a penalty I mean just it's the Pac-12 and you have to hear that in the back of your mind at all times especially when you've got the reputation USC has I thought they, I thought they did a good job mostly in terms of coverage except they had no ability it seemed like to make a play on the ball on those uh on those deep uh you know uh completions uh by Stanford I mean you had you know, in some cases, two guys in perfect position and neither one of them got to the football at all. Neither one of them got off the ground. Neither one of them, you know, seemed to know exactly where the ball was. Neither one of them got their hand on the ball. Uh, uh, So, you know, I'm not sure uh, what the motivation was there. It just looked to me like uh, they need to really work harder and work more seriously and work more every day on playing the ball. And... We don't see that as much as as, as we probably like to see, uh, but I, I don't know that avoiding a penalty was, was the number one thing. Let's face it, this is USC. I'm not sure they spend a lot of time on thinking, "Hmm, how do we re- avoid a penalty here?" I mean, let's face it, it's USC. I don't know that that thought has ever crossed anybody's mind. Now that I, the more I think about it, I'd say probably not. No,
1: nice. Uh Trojan War Machine wrote in this is a little long. He said, Sorry I missed you guys before the game in Santa Clara. I'm sure Tennis Larry had something interesting to say. Not. Uh, awesome game on Friday night, but I saw USC line up numerous times in a weird formation with three receivers on one side, two of them up on the line of scrimmage, and the tackle on the opposite end uncovered. They also lined up a few more times with a tight end covered on one side, ending up getting called for five men in the backfield. When one of the receivers went in a circular motion behind the back, all of the plays, but the one they flagged were running plays. And the only thing I could think of is that they were trying to set up a tackle eligible play or really just wanted to make guys on one side or, or wanted to wanted that many guys on one side of the center. Any ideas on what was going on? Also our receivers line up kind of uh, our receivers line up kind of hard to tell if they're on the line of scrimmage or backed off. One of the plays, where they had two receivers and a tight end on the same side, the line of scrimmage was easy to tell. Though, as they both had their feet on the same chalk line, have an opportunity to boo tennis Larry twice. We were the second and third best, uh, which, which were the second and third best parts of the night after winning the game. Fight on, beat the Buckeyes, Trojan War Machine.
2: Yeah, uh, when we got a chance to talk to Clay. I got to ask about those formations. Is not only did you not know what they were exactly trying to do. It looked like they didn't know what they were exactly trying to do. And I'm not sure the officials knew exactly what they were trying to do. Uh, don't even know what the purpose was. Uh, uh, I, I think there are times when USC tries to fool people, and more than more often than not, they fool themselves. Uh, and so... You know, I, you know, they could probably tell you, oh, we saw Stanford would do this if you put a guy in motion, or if you had a bunch group of receivers on this side, we would get them, you know, outnumbered, you know, going with this play to this location. But uh, I mean, those were so ineffective; uh, it just makes you think, you know, what it, what's the point? Uh, I would, I prefer them not to do any of that kind of thing because they just don't do it. Well, you know, and if you don't do it. Well, no point in doing it.
1: That's very true. Uh, let's do, let's do a voicemail question. We'll go to that one next. Here you go, Dan. JD from DC
0: with a question for Dan. Dan, I'm wondering if you like, I think something has fundamentally changed with offensive play calling at see the past couple of games. It's been a lot more solid and, uh, Rhythmically appropriate and and effective. And then uh, the uh, icing on the cake were those two touchdown calls uh, in the game against Stanford. We've never seen any play like that in the playbook or called or even well executed like that throughout the entire season. Um, Something's obviously changed. Now, I think those are good plays. A lot of fans are saying they're fantastic, but I would submit, you know, this this is what championship team... Do And this is kind of championship caliber play calling and what we should expect at USC. But we weren't seeing a hint of that throughout the season. I, I really believe something's changed. Either somebody stepped out of the play calling or somebody stepped in or there's more consistency. But something has changed. It's not just, you know, cleaning things up. would you agree?
2: Well, I think a couple of things have changed. I think, you know, Sam's feeling good. I think they're they're confident that they can do whatever they want to do with Sam. I I think uh, he's developed you know a sense of 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 all his receivers. Uh, I think he's uh, he really likes Michael Pittman as the big strong go-to guy, the court, sort of a you know juju you know type guy uh, who's got more speed than people think he has. Uh, and Tyler Vaughn, you know, gives you a another guy besides Deonte. And you know, here they have a you know a game where Deontay kind of gets taken out of the game with one reception, and yet it, it doesn't show up with the uh, the way Michael you know and Tyler step up. So uh, I think there's the it is a combination of that of Sam himself feeling uh, like he can do you know he can, he's got ability, he's got more explosive uh, feet, he can run the ball, he um, he's got more receivers that he can absolutely. Uh, throw the ball to. And I think some of the running plays, they're, they're attacking more quickly and, uh, you know, not necessarily running, you know, plays where they're outnumbered at the point of attack. Uh, and I do think there has been a, uh, a maturing, you know, in the play calling. I don't think there's any question about that, 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 that it's gotten more flow, more rhythm, uh, more confidence uh, when they don't try to fool anybody. And uh, and just just use their athletes, use their talent, and uh, and execute it, uh, you know, as, as, as confidently as they can. And uh, you know, I think you you know you see the results. Again, they're still not. They had 501 yards of offense and only 31 points. I think they're they're producing more offense. I mean, you know, they're really uh, very high. I'm trying to. I, I actually haven't checked the number this week where they are in terms of total offense and and passing offense, but they're one of the national, you know, leaders there. And yet when you get to scoring offense, they're down like in the mid thirties. So uh, they haven't quite caught up with the ability to score the ball based on their ability to move the ball, but but they're coming closer and, you know, and, and they look like they're more comfortable doing it and they look like they're more comfortable calling it. So I think that's a good observation.
1: Yeah, nice one, J.D. Uh, they got T-Dog wrote in. He said, so this season's been kind of odd. Uh, this SC team didn't reach perfection, and even when they won, it seemed non-satisfying. Of course, the Pac-12 championship game is an exception. Most of the season, they did not play to their full potential, were hit with injuries, and the coaching staff seemed to have a lack of ability to make in-game adjustments. So here's my question. How do you both deflate or re-energize from these mental migrants, mental migrants uh, uh, during the season since it must be so frustrating to report uh, on this year's team, Ryan, please don't tell us that you go shopping at Trader Joe's. t Dog. Mm-hmm. I just do uh, like you know a podcast every day, T Dog. So I, you know, you get to complain about things and talk about it and discuss it. So that's what I do. I don't know what you do, Dan.
2: No, uh, boy, I got lost on the uh, on the Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as the. Uh, as far as uh, uh, not quite reaching their, you know, where you'd expect them to be, you know, I, I don't, you know, that's that's legit. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think they, I don't think they have. For example, in, in, as, as fulfilling as the championship game was, that wasn't a thirty-one twenty-eight game. USC had five hundred one yards of offense. Stanford had three forty-three. To be honest, you take away a couple of those, you know, hail mary kind of, you know, passes. Stanford was lucky. They had 250 yards of offense. I mean, you know, that was a pretty one-sided game. Again, it shouldn't have been 31 to 28. Uh, but again, that reflected USC's entire season. Uh, and you know, in some ways, I mean, they've got, they've really got some weapons and they don't always show up on the scoreboard and other teams with, Maybe lesser weapon. I mean, let's face it, they contained Bryce Love about as well as you could ever hope to contain Bryce Love. And, uh, you know, nice that he, you know, as far as USC's results, you hate to see a kid not be 100%, and he obviously deserves to be in New York with Eisman, but, uh, but he wasn't running 100%, and, and that was a plus, and, and you'd like to be able to take advantage of that at the very least. So we still aren't seeing that. We're still not seeing a team that. You know, uh, gets the most on the scoreboard out of its performance on the field, and we're still seeing a team that you know shoots itself in the foot with the uh, with the penalties and uh, and just in general inability at times to make a play that looks like they're there. I mean, they didn't have any coverage busts. That's really good. I mean, if you remember how far it was only a couple of weeks ago in the Colorado game, where you know receivers are running free with nobody anywhere near them. Well, that didn't happen at all uh, in the Stanford game, and still they were able to complete those long passes that you just said. How did they do that? Uh, especially when you knew they had to, you know, throw the the long ball and they had no other choice. And uh, you know, you you to let them score right before the half and let them score at the end of the game. I mean, it just shouldn't that shouldn't happen. So, uh, is that frustrating? I think a little bit because this team is probably better. Then, when you look at the scoreboard, uh, it looks like they are. And that that probably hurt. And one of the reasons they're down at number eight in the final playoff rankings because their, you know, scoreboard didn't reflect uh, what what they were capable of.
1: We had a question, Terrian in Vegas. How on earth could a Janie Harris be allowed to go all season as our punt returner? You heard, uh, I heard you say that you feel sorry for a Janie, and I do too. But. Coach Baxter was hailed as as a special teams guru when he joined the staff. And we did have a couple of great years due to a Dory. This year, we needed good coaching and development, and it just wasn't there. Your comments, Tarion and Vegas.
2: Yeah, Tarion, cannot disagree at all. I mean, I just think it's unfair to put a Jenny back there. I I mean, and I look and I sometimes, you know, think, is this a Kevon Seymour situation? Um, You know, have they had his vision tested uh doesn't seem i mean as a former baseball coach i know that feeling when when you see the ball hit, hit you're in you're on the defense and you see the ball hit and you look out there and you say uh-oh my center fielder has no idea where the ball is uh-oh where is this gonna go and i look uh and so many times this year you just had this sense that uh, jenny really hasn't picked the ball up or doesn't know where he is or where the ball is and uh that you you know and and some of the issues were you know one of the other candidates was jack jones and i know they're thinking okay he might hit a home run but uh uh how do we because you want that punt returner to be under control as well and you want him to be kind of doing what you want him to do uh and you know i just he didn't, for some reason, Velas Jones is a, is a kickoff return guy. He doesn't seem to have maybe the hands and the body control to be that that punt return guy. It is kind of baffling to think of all the really good athletes that USC has been able to recruit uh, and not have one that that can return punts. And, and do you get spoiled when you've got a Dory for three years and you don't have to coach him? You don't have to do a lot. You just say, go get him. And uh, you know, did that get away from them over those over that time? Yeah, it sure did. But uh, but that was a disaster, to be honest with you. I mean, they had one, and yet they ended up because of the one fake punt return uh, touchdown against uh, UCLA. USC ends up they return very few punts, so they get one long return, and that moves them up to top fifteen in punt returns, which is another example of where statistics are completely false uh if you look at USC and think hey that's a pretty good part return team uh not really uh yeah I uh you have to do more coaching this was a year they really had to be coached up and they really were not coached up uh this year at all I mean the uh, you know catch fair catching uh, the Sanford game is a good example you know, you let them bounce, uh, you let the ball bounce uh, so that you starting inside their five-yard line when you probably needed to catch it. You fair catch it when you should have caught it and returned it because they're not covering it well. Uh, you, you know, you catch it when you should fair catch it, and then you re- retreat back toward the goal line and end up again inside the five. Uh, it's like every mistake that you can make, on, uh, on returning punts USC made, and, uh, and that's not acceptable. They, USC, USC has to be better than that, and, uh, and that, that's on the coaches. I, it, there's no other way
1: to say it. All right, Dan, we got a uh, text question from Sean in Vegas. He said, who had a worse performance in the Pac-12 championship game, the Pac-12 refs or USC special teams? Ooh.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Wow, there you go. Uh, <clears throat> isn't it a shame you just have to keep asking that question about either part, either one of those? Uh, yeah. Uh, hmm. Uh, I'm gonna flip a coin on that one. Uh, I just uh, and it wasn't the worst uh, Pac-12 official uh, officiated game of the year, which makes you, I mean. And and I do remember, you know, when that crew was kind of considered, you know, really like the worst. And there they are at the, uh, you know, in the Pac-12 championship game. So, man, it just doesn't really get a whole lot better, unfortunately. Uh, it just You almost can't do a Pac-12 game without replay and review. Uh, they just kind of, you know, punt. Speaking of special teams, uh, <laughs> Pac-12 officials are pretty good at punting the ball upstairs and hoping they saw it.
1: Yeah, they, so. uh, <laughs> it was, it was pretty bad. I was talking to David Woods on our Pac-12 podcast and he was like, I just remember that crew being terrible. Like how was that one selected to be the best crew? I'm like, yeah. He's like, who's the best one? I'm like, maybe like Land Clark's crew. I just don't know who the best one would be, but that I wouldn't think the one that we saw there for the championship game would be the best.
2: No, I don't think we've had them this year, and you'd almost forgotten about it. I mean, but in years past, when those guys showed up, you went, oh, no, this is going to be shaky at the very best. And there they are in the Pac-12 championship game, and it's just, you just think you're, you know, and... and well, nobody's hit a I mean, there have been games this year where you said, okay, I'm glad this crew's on the game, and then you, after the game you said, I'm not very glad this, that crew was on the game. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been that good a year for almost any of the crews. And, yeah, they have lost a couple of young, good young referees to the, the NFL. Uh, I mean, as soon as they show up and you say, oh, that guy's good, well, that's like the greatest uh, compliment you can give uh, – a uh, college football official in the Pac-12 is saying, boy, he's good. He, he's not going to be there long because, uh, you know, the NFL is paying attention and, uh, uh, and, and it's interesting, you know, that like Tony Corrente used to be in charge of the, you know, the Pac-12 officials and is an NFL referee and is, you know, a uh, guy who lives out here and they've got a lot of connections with the NFL, uh, to the point that that probably doesn't help the Pac-12 because uh, um, you, if you're good, you're gone.
1: Yeah, I think the problem is, too, if you're good in the Pac-12, you stand out because nobody yeah, else is good. Yeah. You There's are in a showcase. Idea, you know. It's like,
2: yeah, everybody you. It's not like, you know, it's a inside. Uh, only the officials really know. In the Pac-12, it just becomes so obvious so fast.
1: That uh, you are, go- you will be in the NFL uh, quickly. So, yeah, uh, no, qu- <laughs> no question about that. You can really stand out if you are good in the Pac-12, which is very rare. Uh, before we jump into the rest, uh, USC is going to play in the Cotton Bowl against Ohio State. You want to buy tickets? I am going to suggest you use SeatGeek. So, if you want to buy sporting event tickets to any kind of sporting event, it can be complicated, it can be confusing. The best way to buy is with SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets. For every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, you want to go to a concert or something, trying to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, and it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the Trojans in person. you got one more chance this year. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So I do have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Anywhere you are, just a few taps, you can instantly find seats and they make the uh, ticket buying experience better than ever. It's going to save you money and time by searching multiple ticket sites at once. You can compare prices and find amazing deals and you're going to get your most bang for the buck. They grade every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that'll fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So make it your go-to app for finding the best seats on every type of ticket from sports to concerts, comedy in the theater, so what you want to do is, all my listeners, you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC today, that's promo code USC, you'll get $20 off uh, your first purchase. So I'm looking at the app right now for the Cotton Bowl Classic. The lowest price seats are uh, 70 bucks, and they're showing the best deal, row 13, uh, $143. So uh, definitely check out the app if you want to see like kind of where the tickets are, they, they rank them, how good they are and stuff, so... Uh, pretty good options there.
2: Yeah, I think there's stadium uh, diagrams where you can uh, click on the seat uh, exactly where the seat is, and then the way they rank uh, the you know the best deals to the worst deals and all that. I think it's just terrific. I mean, you can go right now just for the heck of it. You can go on SeatGeek and, and and check out the Rose Bowl and see you know what tickets are available for that semifinal game. Or you can go to you know the different uh, different games and you know, see what's available and uh, what they're charging. And uh, I'm surprised, very, uh, not very many tickets available for the Rose Bowl. People are holding on to those at least right now. Yeah. Uh, and more tickets available uh, for the Cotton Bowl at, at really good prices and, and reasonable. Uh, so uh, I think it's a, uh, not a bad deal for, uh, just go on there and take a look and, uh, and you'll find out. It's just interesting uh, to look at uh, the different stadiums and, and where the seats are available and what people are asking for them. It's, yeah. it's kind of a neat neat thing.
1: It is. Yeah, the Rose Bowl is always a tough one to get. Um, okay, let's jump in. we got a, another voicemail question for you. Dan, here you go.
3: Hey, Ryan, how you doing? Coach Harvey, hi. Dan Weber. Uh, first, I just want to start saying by that USC going to the College Bowl against Ohio State has, I think, a lot of people extremely happy. I know I'm definitely one of them. I can't wait to see that matchup. Uh, definitely Rose Bowl tradition feel. Uh, to that game. Um, like I said, I was just extremely happy how this team played against Stanford, beat them a second time. But uh, real quick, I just want to just address something moving forward. One thing that I kind of see in my eyes, I want to see from your guys' eyes, what you think is this whole thing with us having an extra conference game versus, let's say, the SEC, um, and us uh, continuing to get overlooked on certain things, us continuing to play Pac-12 after dark games. I mean, when's the last time that you saw – an SEC team play on a Friday night. I haven't seen Ohio State or Alabama play on a Friday night. And just kind of curious your guys' thoughts on, you know, I understand that we deserve to be in the playoff this year as far as the games that were way way too close at times. But just kind of the overlook, when you compare the three teams on the high test, our strength schedule was 11th versus Alabama. That was 47th, and we were conference champions. Um, Just kind of looking forward, you know, Larry Scott being the Pac-12 commissioner. When is he finally going to see – that he needs to do what's right for the conference so that we don't keep getting overlooked in uh, many different circumstances. Thanks again. Can't wait for the conference. let to fight on.
2: Yeah, I mean, all good points. Uh, I think, you know, one of the problems for Larry to to do what's right is he had to figure out what's right. And uh, I'm just not sure. You know, he jumped on the USC bandwagon Friday before the game, but that was a little late. Uh, and, and here you got uh, uh, and, and I, I absolutely don't trust the people with the playoff uh, committee members. Uh, first of all, they had invested so much in Alabama. I mean, all year long they're telling you Alabama is absolutely the best team or one of the two best teams. Uh, they couldn't drop them out of the top four no matter what. But here's a here's a, a perfect example of the disparity between the Pac-12 and uh, the SEC, for example. USC played 10 conference games, counting the championship. okay? USC played the second-best team in the Pac-12 twice. Let's take a look at Alabama. Alabama played eight conference games. Alabama played how many games against the next-best team or the best team? in the SEC, they played zero. Georgia and Alabama never played. So USC has to play Stanford twice. Alabama doesn't have to play Georgia, and Georgia doesn't have to play Alabama. Pretty cool. Neither one of them gets a loss. They certainly didn't have to play one another twice. Alabama, you know, blows the Auburn game, so they, they don't have to even go to the conference championship game which is one reason why you don't make the conference championship game and don't have to play the other good team in your conference, you don't get to go to the championship. You don't get to go to the playoffs. It's that simple. That's an elimination factor. I know they said, you know, Notre Dame's uh, win over USC. That eliminates USC. I don't disagree. Uh, Ohio State's lost to Iowa. That eliminates Ohio State. Okay. Alabama losing out and not getting to uh, the—they lost to the only good team they played all year, the only team that was remotely decent team, uh, Auburn, beat them by two touchdowns. So, I would think that's an elimination factor for Alabama, having you know, having not. For example, the other things that Alabama does—they they take a bye week before their only game that they think might be tough. Other than Auburn is the uh, LSU game, so they get by a bye week before that, and before LSU or before Auburn, they played Mercer. They didn't get you know the situation USC had, so USC had incredibly more difficult schedule, and had to play Stanford twice. I guarantee you, and, and I know you know SEC honks won't agree with this. Stanford's as good as Auburn. Uh, especially the Auburn team that showed up in the championship game with their one running back hurt, uh, and yet nothing. USC got nothing for that, uh, for beating uh, Stanford twice. Got nothing. And they, people, you know, the SEC, they just look at you and laugh. I mean, you watch the SEC network. And at, at times I give Paul Feinbaum some credit for being a smart guy and a, and a decent you know, observer. Those people have sold out so badly they're, they're, they're the intellectual dishonesty watching those people over the weekend uh, uh in terms of their punditry on who should go you know and so certain that alabama deserved to be there based on what on nick saban maybe on alabama the last few years maybe uh but other than that what do you have to go on that tells you you could trust that alabama team uh, the way they played, uh, the only good quarterback they played a year ago when they gave up, what is it, 45 points to Clemson? I mean, you know, or the fact that the only pro quarterback they faced all year was, was the kid from, from uh, Auburn, uh, Jared Stidham, who's a nice nice quarterback, but not a great quarterback, not, you know, Sam Donald, uh, you know, not Josh Rosen, not, not Luke Falk. And they got beat by him. So how do you have the sense, if you're you know, making these selections, that you know Alabama would beat any of those teams? Just because they don't, they don't see you know, a pro-style quarterback and pro-style receivers week after week after week in the, in, in the SEC. And even if they are there, the other part of that is the SEC has 14 teams, and you only have to play eight of them. That's different when you have to play nine out of 12 as you do in the Pac-12. You know, you miss two in the Pac-12. In the SEC, you know, you miss, uh, you miss five. So they can set it up so the good teams don't play one another. Uh, and they keep their teams ranked because they don't play uh, the two best teams. Can you imagine the SEC having Alabama play Georgia the first week of the season when those are supposed to be the two top teams? the way the uh, Pac-12 does with USC and Stanford. Think about that. The two best teams in the Pac-12 hit a play in game one of the conference schedule, which meant one of your two best teams will carry an additional loss through the entire season, which means they'll be downvoted in every poll all the way through, where teams like Mississippi State and who knows, Missouri or Kentucky or whatever, are avoiding anybody that can beat them for about a month and a half uh, so they stay in the ratings so then they'll tell you oh so-and-so played so many this many rated teams so what it's they're gaming the system and the Pac-12 is doing the exact opposite I don't know which is worse you probably got to give it to the SEC for figuring out how to game the system than for the Pac-12 which shoots itself in the foot uh, every year and then act surprised. I mean honest to gosh, they were actually surprised that playing a Friday night road game after a Saturday road game the week before would hurt a team. Larry Scott said that's hindsight, that's twenty twenty hindsight. It's not hindsight. Who, if you know anything about football, doesn't know that that's going to be the case. But nobody at the Pac-12 knew it, they said. And then they give the schedule out to somebody else. For example, do you think Alabama and the SEC people would trust someone outside to put their schedule together? No, of course not. Pac-12 does. They they farm it out and then see what happens. And then they vote on these schedules. And, you know, if you're screwed like USC, the rest of them aren't going to vote, uh, you know, in your favor. They're going to just say, well, yeah, go ahead. You you chose to play Notre Dame, you know you and Stanford. We're going to screw both of you, and uh, we don't care, and they don't, and that's where USC needs to explore its options
1: for sure. And we got man, we got a lot of questions on that. We probably won't get into too much more. We'll answer some of these other ones, but we'll save that for some other shows too. Uh, we got Bill in Mesa, Arizona. I was at the game Friday and stayed through the trophy presentation. I think I heard Sam say something, and he said, he's paraphrasing, this win is for our seniors because this is our last Pac-12 game. That leads me to believe he has decided to leave. Did either of you hear the same thing? I could not find a replay. Maybe you can of his speech anywhere to verify. Can't say it enough. Thanks for all you do. For all of us fans, you go above and beyond. Mesa, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Bill in Mesa, Arizona, I didn't hear that, but it was really hard for me to hear where I was on the field. I don't know if you heard that, Dan.
2: And, you you know, I I kind of heard it that way uh, in terms of the words. But you could easily uh, interpret those, which, you know, I could choose to, to say, this was about our seniors. And if you're a junior or you're a redshirt sophomore, uh, you're not one of those seniors. So this is the last time they're going to play together. And so – you're sending off the seniors. He didn't say it was about him. He said it, um, uh, I got the sense it was more about this is our last game together with those guys. And, and it was kind of the same way last year. I think Sam was talking about last year's senior class. So uh, I think you could read, I, don't, I would not read too much into that at all. Uh, I think that was strictly a send-off for this year's senior class. Uh, I uh, other than that, no. I think uh, you're, you're probably reading uh, too much into it.
1: Yeah, I would say that too. I th- I think it's like a fifty fifty thing right now. Um, Tarek, was it a mistake to burn the red shirts of Randall Grimes and Joseph Lewis the fourth?
2: You know, I don't know. Uh, uh, I think other than for 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 linemen uh, who who you really think need to physically mature and all of that um the kids USC recruits you almost hope that they're good enough uh in three years to be thinking about going on uh to the n f l so um I, I i don't know i mean there is where uh, hindsight you know is twenty twenty i think part of it is you didn't know how Michael Pittman was going to come back you just didn't know that he was going to come back as strong as he did uh, when he did uh, and those high ankle sprains you really don't know the timing and what it's going to be so uh, that became I think an issue I think if Michael Pittman doesn't come back uh, those two play out completely differently uh, so um, you know so you had the good luck the good fortune uh, to have uh, Michael uh, Pittman come back so strong and become such a you know, a go-to guy for Sam, uh, as the year went on. And so, uh, that diminished your, uh, you know, opportunities for, for Joseph Lewis and, uh, and, and Randall Grimes. Uh, so if you wanted to say now, is it a, you know, is it a mistake? You know, you, I mean, you hope it isn't because you hope that after three years, they've had such a good career, you know, the next couple of years that, uh, that it does become an issue. But, uh, but I mean, they still have four, they still have four years. Uh, so, I mean, they'd obviously have to red shirt uh, a year if you get an injury or something like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think four years is, is enough. I don't know. Cause basically you're saying uh, these are five year kids. If, if the red shirt year uh, is a mistake and I'm not sure that those are five year kids that, I think four years will be be enough.
1: We had one from Neil in Manila, uh, our favorite definitely Neil's our favorite guy from the Philippines, I would say. Um yes. I think he's the only one from the Philippines so if you're yes, from the Philippines without listening, a doubt. could you know, write in and we gonna get someone else besides Neil. Uh what does Clay who I'm sorry, who does Clay closely resemble? Larry Coker or Dabo Sweeney, since they are both promoted interim coaches. What do you think?
2: I I don't know that that's an either or because I I think that that's to be determined. Those are the kinds of things that you don't determine after the first two years. I mean, this is the 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 thing about college football coaching is uh, uh, as much as this is kind of a an instant gratification world and instant results and all of that. I think you know those are the the questions that you develop over uh over the years is the guy a program builder or not and uh obviously davo sweeney is and um um, larry coker really wasn't and not that it was going to be a very easy job to to keep building that program at miami uh but um uh but we'll see i think that's the that is the key question uh for all the things that you you probably need to do at usc the uh the ability to, you know, to create a sense of uh, this is what this program has to have uh, going forward. This is what we need to do to compete. Uh, I mean, I would like, for example, I, I have given uh, Clay enough chances to talk about the whole Pac-12 and the scheduling and all the issues that, the, the ways in which it makes USC, uh, uh, you know, what what USC wants to do more difficult. And he's passed. He's not going there. I think. To be that kind of a guy, uh, the program builder and the leader and all of that, I think you might end up having to uh, speak your piece, and you might end up having to say, this is what we need from the Pac-12. and We're we're doing our best to win a national championship. Uh, We need the Pac-12 to cooperate. And I think he would be very much listened to. For example, David Shaw said exactly what needs to be said last week. Well, I I would like to see – uh, you know Clay. You know has now beat David Shaw twice this year. And I would think the next thing I'd like to see from Clay is the ability to step up out there and say, uh, "This isn't fair to our program. This isn't fair to Stanford's program. This isn't fair to Washington. You know, this isn't fair to uh, programs that have higher aspirations. And it's not fair to the league. And and we need uh, the league to you know cooperate with us here. And when they don't, I think it's not wrong to to, you know, say exactly what the deal is. And, uh, so, uh, but, uh, but I don't think you can determine it yet. It's, and I don't think, I don't think it's the Larry Coker part. Uh, I know people say, well, once Sam is gone, we'll see. But, uh, but, uh, Davos Winnie, that's, uh, you know, that's a high, uh, that's a high bar, uh, for what he's done, uh, for to do what he's done at Clemson um, you can put the whole town, you know, in a, in the stadium. I mean, it's just, uh, that's remarkable. Uh, you know, in, in a small state where the other school, other state school is a, an SEC school, that's remarkable. I mean, you can't say enough good things about what Davo Swin has done. He's just, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing job. So if you can compare, you know, Clay with Davo after a few years, uh, He's done He's done pretty well, probably.
1: We got one from Terry, and he said, Hey, Ryan and Dan, uh, do you think that the added voices of Chip Kelly and Herm Edwards to the Pac-12 coaching fraternity will have any impact uh, to the Pac-12 management, for example, in regards to officiating and scheduling? Thanks so much for your work and your entire staff. You deserve to be the voices of a championship team. <laughs> wow, Terry, and thanks. Okay.
2: We'll be glad to be the voices uh, as far as Herm Edwards, I would say the one plus there is whatever he says probably will be on ESPN, and they'll probably be giggling about it and saying, hey, go get him, Herm, because there will be – I mean, I I can't wait to see some of these games that we end up sputtering about the officiating and and just to hear what Herm's going to say. And I know there'll be somebody saying, you're not supposed to say that. No, Herm, no, don't say that. Um uh, so and it'll probably involve those pitchforks uh, for the Sun Devils. I'm guessing uh, when he uh, when he gets a really close look at Pac-12 officiating. So from that standpoint, you know that's a good take. Chip Kelly, uh, uh, I mean, I don't. It'd be interesting to see what his voice is like uh, right now. He didn't have all that much of a voice at Oregon. He was mostly just, uh, you know. Finding guys that could play his system and taking the advantage. He kept quiet about the officiating because he was getting such a good deal in terms of the way they were, uh, you know, running the game and interpreting the rules and all that. Well, the rules have been changed enough that you uh, know the uh, on the you know substitutions and and uh, m- you know marking the ball for play and all that kind of thing that that you probably can't take as much advantage of. So uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, but uh they each have a a, you know a different kind of a voice and uh they they certainly have a platform i mean if either one of them speaks out they'll probably get some uh they'll get some coverage and uh and maybe be a good example for clay that maybe it's time for him to uh also speak out maybe they you can get enough of these coaches together so that they would you know speak out about uh uh, you know, some of the things, uh, you know, some of the ways in which the Pac-12 is, is you know, holding uh, all the programs back.
1: A little uh, side note on the Pac-12. Um, so if uh, if you get the Pac-12 network, if you're lucky enough to, definitely watch some of the Pac-12 games in 60 minutes, you know, like just go back and watch. And, you know, you you forget, Dan, like there's so many USC fans that are frustrated, you know, and obviously, and then it's like, Ah, uh, you just kind of blow it off. You're like, okay, it, you know, it's gonna be all right, but, you know, blah blah blah. And I'm watching the USC Arizona game, and you're just, you know, the beginning of the game, they're killing them and whatever. And then they're at the point, in the midway through the fourth quarter, where Arizona just tied it. And I'm like, oh yeah, they tied the game like midway through the fourth quarter. And like uh-huh. that's why people were so upset. Like that shouldn't uh-huh. have happened. Um, and it uh-huh. was like the earlier punt that like just rolled down to like the uh-huh. two, and you're like, what, what, what is going on? Like it's not like People are mad at poor play. I'm sorry for this tangent. I just like was watching it right now. Hmm. But when it seems like these things that you could avoid just by doing something on your own, like it's not like something the other team does. It's like something you're doing to yourself. You know what I mean? Oh, that's
2: absolutely the case. I mean, that's why it's hard to get mad, so mad at, at you know at the Pac-12 because USC contributed to it. I mean, all they had to do as bad as, and they would have been the only Friday night game on the road following a Saturday game, they'd have been the only team that would have won in that situation. And they were allowed to play a team, I know, that was home for five straight weeks, and it was the end of the world, as Washington State would go on to show, that they didn't have the staying power that you needed because they couldn't show up and play at Washington when all they had to do was do that, and they they get in the championship game. So, uh, you know, USC would have had to do some special stuff. Uh, They were hurt. They were, uh, you know, but just go after Washington state and you beat them. Come on. And you beat Washington state. You're in the playoffs. It's that simple. Cause they'd have beaten Washington state. Then they would have made the Notre Dame game a really big deal. And USC as much as they obviously weren't ready and didn't prepare and didn't understand that Notre Dame was going to be, uh, you know, so fired up for that game and all of that. They probably couldn't have missed that if they go in there unbeaten, uh, And that would have been a different game, too. So uh, a lot of that is is USC's fault. I mean, they needed to be ready for the Washington State game. They needed to prepare for it. Uh, They needed to take it uh, much more aggressively. They kind of tiptoed into town, and it was like they were hoping that maybe they could tiptoe through a a pretty conservative game plan and – maybe Washington state won't be all that good. And maybe no, you just had to go and take Washington state out. And they didn't do that. And, uh, and it was like, well, you know, we were injured and it was all kinds of problems. And instead of realizing, no, you just cost yourself a chance at the national championship, which of course, you know, Pete Carroll's teams did it the year they went to Oregon state on a, uh, on a weeknight game, I guess it was, yeah, it was a, it was a Friday night game, I guess that was, wasn't it? Uh, and, and got beat. And, uh, that team would have won a national championship. Uh, and you just have to do that. Uh, You have to, you have to take those kinds of games seriously. And yes, he didn't. So can't all blame it all on the Pac-12. although I think if it was played on Saturday, USC might not have lost on a you know last
1: uh, minute field goal. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just was like, you know, it's on the TV in my in my office, and uh, now USC just came back and marched down the field and scored Rojo from one yard out. But but that was this kind of thing. It's like, man, I forgot they tied the game midway through the the fourth quarter. Um, we had a couple from Tarek. First, can you see Biggie Marshall taking over at strong safety for Chris Hawkins next year, and then? The $64 question, not $1,000, dollar question. Will Porter Gustin be ready for the Cotton Bowl?
2: I wouldn't bet on it, but uh, I don't think we know it. I mean, I'm I just guessing, totally guessing. Um, you know, the, the damage, he's so strong. And the damage he can do to himself by planting that foot. I mean, you know, you got a toe that's been, you know, surgically repaired twice now with pins. And um, whether this is enough time or not, I mean, let's face it, the doctors, these are guys who've studied their whole lives, and then they become specialists in sports medicine, and they see him every day, and they say, apparently, someone, one of them, said, yeah, you're good to go, go get him. And (laughs) they they're having to, you know, do surgery by the end of the first half practically. So asking us, you know, you know, I had, a, my dad was a doctor and a team, team doctor, and I was a trainer in college. Uh, and you know, we don't get to see him. And our opinion is about as worthless as, as almost every other opinion uh, about Porter this year has been. Uh, so I'm not going to go there. I, I really – I just don't know. Uh, I'll give you the Clay uh, Helton answer. I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> uh, we we were told they didn't think he was coming back. Uh, now, whether Clay actually mentioned the last time it was brought up about the possibility of the bowl game, and we hadn't really heard that before. So, so I don't know. I don't want him to come back too soon again. He just – just, can't do that. As uh, far as as far as, uh, as, far as that. I, wish I could remember the other questions. Iman
1: uh, Marshall, Marshall taking oh, over. Iman
2: and strong safety. Uh, I think the uh, the one issue with the strong safety, you really have to make a lot of judgment calls. And I mean, I like it the idea of of, of uh, you know bringing him down into the box and and uh, playing the way uh, Chris Hawkins has played and being the next guy. Uh, however. You yes, see, he here's two really big physical, athletic uh, safeties in Bubba Bolden and Isaiah Palamala, who uh, I think are going to be able to fill that role uh, uh, next year. So, uh, uh, and I think Biggie has improved his judgment in terms of grabbing people and and all of that. Um, so I'm not I'm not so sure that that would be the best move for him. I just think refining his skills um, you know in man-to-man coverage especially uh, i think is the way for him to go and not getting too competitive where he can't let anybody run by him and just uh you know just just really uh getting coached up more but i think it, i think it might be a hard hard deal to put him into a, a safety situation where uh you have to make so many uh judgments about do i do this or that or this or the other thing i, I think uh cornerback is, uh, is a better place for him that way. Although physically, you can make the case that he, he certainly looks and, and tackles um, you know, like, a, like a safety.
1: we got Earl in West L.A. I think we're at the hour mark. We'll, we'll do a couple more and we'll let you go, Dan. Earl in West L.A., when Larry Scott was introduced during the trophy presentation ceremony, following the championship game, he was loudly greeted with what uh, is emphatically uh, known as the Bronx Cheer. Do you think this public display of dissatisfaction resonated with the ADs or the college presidents?
2: I hope so. I, I, actually, I think I was standing kind of next to Max Nikias at the time, who is the chairman of the uh, Pac-12 CEO group. Uh, it was pretty obvious. Uh, they were not too pleased. I mean, uh, Larry Scott sort of that Roger Goodell figure in uh, – in, in, in uh New England or in Dallas or wherever you want uh uh and he tried to grin it off uh, it looked like but uh but I think you know they know uh I mean he knows he absolutely went so overboard to praise USC um and all the things that they'd overcome in his press conference before the game And honestly, I'm not sure he even understood as he was talking about it that many of the things that he said USC had to overcome were as a result of what the Pac-12 did to USC. I I just think it was like he was making the case as as sort of an outsider. You know they had to overcome a Friday night road game after a road game the week before against a ranked team. And then they had to go to Notre Dame when Notre Dame had a bye week to get ready and they're playing 12 straight weeks and all that. And you're thinking, Larry, you gave them that schedule. That wasn't, you know, something USC had any control over. I mean, they w- you wouldn't let USC have a bye before the Notre Dame game. Uh, you wouldn't have let USC get out of that Friday night road game. Uh, so I'm not sure that larry scott is the most self-aware person in the world so whether the booing penetrated the bubble of when you're sitting there saying i'm making 4.2 million dollars a year and i have no idea what i'm doing ha 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 Uh, i don't know is that does that get through i have no idea
1: we have, uh, so we had someone call in twice about uh, defensive backs. So this will, we'll end it on this one. I'm going to have to play you both of them back to back then. So I'll play one, then I'll, I'll just play the second one right after. Here you go.
4: Ryan, this is Zach White, Southern, straight out of Gary, Indiana. Here's what I'm trying to understand as I'm sitting here watching the game. When and where will we develop this so called physical killer mentality? I'm watching this game entering the fourth quarter. We're not going to kill nothing. We're not going to let nothing die. We got DBs doing all this extra stuff on just elementary plays. There's more DBs out of position than in position. It's ridiculous blitzing. It's soft blitzing. It's just soft football. We're out here winning right now on talent alone. How does the DB coach survive beyond this year? Love the podcast. Thank you, guys. Uh, look forward to your
1: And then uh, he called right back with this.
4: Uh, Zach Wayne Seven calling in again. Uh, second question, uh, once again in the secondary. I know you said they focused on the vertical pass game with Stanford coming into this week. Where are they taught to look back at the quarterback 40 yards down the field without making contact with the man? I mean, these are basically the principles that just don't seem to apply to our coverage in the secondary. Uh, thanks again for all you do. bye
2: So I think that was that was Zach, right, uh, with the questions? Yeah,
1: I think that's what he said. It was hard to understand. I think my, it was Zach. And, and Gary and And I
2: think those are good questions. I think uh, uh, USC worked more uh, in preparation for the Stanford game on the deep ball and on their lob ball. And uh, they knowing that they're going to throw it up to those big wide receivers. Uh, and I thought they got better. And I also thought they weren't out of pl- out of position. I mean, they were in the plays and they still weren't able to play the football. They weren't able to exactly locate the football and they weren't able to explode to the football. So I think they got some of it right. Cause I mean we didn't see any busted coverage. We didn't see any of the Colorado game or the UCLA game where guys were just like, "Wait a minute. Do does USC have 10 guys on the on the field? What do they have 11? What do they got?" And so they were there and they were running along and some of them were double covered and uh, uh Castella threw into double coverage and boom, they make the catch. I thought they were good, you know, they were good throws. They were on the money but uh you have to if you've got the athletes USC has running running out there with those Stanford wide receivers they have to be able to explode to the football play the football I'm not sure that part has has been coached up enough or taught enough or emphasized enough or uh you know done with regularity it just uh it it just seems to be a missing part of the uh of the equation and uh um and it's especially i think disappointing when they don't have a busted coverage and they still can't make the play when they're right there and they don't make the play they've got to get better at that you just cannot let uh you can't let people complete passes into double coverage when you got the guy bracketed on both sides and you're within you know a half a half a step and on both sides and uh, there there's, there's body control that USC kids need to, you know, have, uh, body control, the ability to, uh, just absolutely explode to the ball, the ability to know where the ball is and when it's coming down, the ability to read that, uh, wide receiver's eyes so that you absolutely know, you know, when the ball is there. And, and a lot of that seems to be missing. And I would think if you're supposed to be teaching them that and you're not teaching them that, um, there's some real jeopardy there uh, if you're you're an assistant
1: coach. Dan Weber doing a great job covering USC football for us at uscfootball.com. dot com. We got to talk about the game. We still have okay. So Dan, I'm, I might send you all these questions we still have left if you want to do another column or something. But there's yeah, there's still a great. ton. So maybe we'll do that. Um,
2: that'd be great. I love you because
1: there's a lot. There's a lot of them uh, in there. We can save them. You know, we'll we'll keep doing more from you know the the following weeks, but uh there's just there's no way we couldn't keep up with them all I apologize there was just too many um but yeah, yeah
2: great i I'll, I'll definitely do that okay
1: so uh if you're listening, make sure you check out u s c dot com sometime this week Dan'll write a column with all the questions we didn't get to yet uh kind of a reset there uh but there yeah, there's a lot so they're great stuff too really good questions um before I let you go, anything like we didn't really get to talk just like what we thought of the game. It was more like just answering questions. Was there something about the, the championship? Uh, I liked your piece about, you know, the only thing you should be is happy uh, about winning the Pac-12 championship, and you are. And, I, and I'm watching the USC-UCLA game. I'm sure I'll get frustrated watching certain things in that too. But, you know, the, the goal was to win the Pac-12, and they did that going 11-2. and two. So I think overall you kind of have to be happy with, with how the team, you know, finished the year.
2: Yeah, I, it's one of the reasons I kind of enjoy running into uh, President Nikias after the game because he's so happy. I mean, he is just thrilled to death, and he really he's getting to learn you know much more about football. I mean, it's just uh, one of those uh, you know if you grow up in in, in Greece, uh, you know they're not playing American college football, uh, but he's uh, he really been learning, and he does pick up the nuances. And he still realizes, uh, and he never doesn't say, but we won. And that's the, that's the, you know, the ultimate, you know, goal, you would have liked to have won a lot of those games so that you got, you know, you didn't end up eighth, um, you know, with an 11 and two record in the PAC 12 championship, or that you were the fifth out of the five, uh, conference champions. Uh, and, and, and some of that is on USC, but, um, but there is a toughness about this team uh, in in terms of finishing games. Uh, uh, that goal line stand, I mean. Uh, and again, you know, it's a it's a it's a team with it's kind of a split personality that they end up, you know, like 80th in the country in total defense, and yet uh, put put that kind of a goal line stand on Stanford. At, you know, two plays inside the one, and they can't score. Uh, and you look at them and you say, that you can't play defense any better than, than USC did. Uh, I mean, how many, what, they ran six plays from the three-yard line uh, or when they had a first down on the three and they ran six more plays and still didn't get in. They ran like 12 from inside the 30 on that drive. And, and USC, you know, one of the, the best uh, red zone defenses in the country. So they have an ability when it really, really, really matters in a game to be there uh, on offense and defense, you know, very seldom when they need that final drive, as they turned out, they did from 99 yards out against Stanford, they make it. Uh, the frustration comes with the times that they don't, uh, you know, they don't do what they they could do and probably should do and allow those games to, you know, stay a lot closer, you know, than they really, uh, you know, should be so uh it doesn't look like it's going to change, and now they're playing an Ohio State team, which I think has some of the characteristics of u s c but when they get a team down, they really stomp them. I mean, they just you know put you know they put lots of points on the board. It might be in a different different conference, different kinds of schedules, different you know more uh, teams that really aren't very good. Uh, that can't do much to hurt you. But, uh, but Ohio State and USC have some similarities. And it'll be interesting, too, uh, if you go back with 24-7, does a composite recruiting uh, rankings uh, for the teams. I can't try to think of the last four or five years. And they put together the current roster. And how, how, how is it ranked? And Alabama has the number one recruiting roster over the last four or five years. Ohio State's number two, and USC's number three. And it's interesting to me, they're that close, obviously, and that the two and three ranked recruiting classes uh, for this current roster didn't make the playoffs. So uh, you think three teams are in the playoffs that recruited not as well as Ohio State and USC. So, uh, kind of an interesting way to look at them. They're, and now that they're recruiting some of the same players, you know, Ohio State's coming to California, and, and USC with Clay going to Cincinnati the other day is recruiting uh, Ohio State territory. So, uh, this game has a lot of a lot of connections or uh, similarities that uh, maybe we wouldn't have, you know, always seen. Uh, so, I like that part of it.
1: All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. Thanks for uh, coming on, and we'll we're going to do a recruiting podcast tomorrow. That's the plan with Gerard, and then uh, I'll probably do another solo podcast a little bit later in the week to answer more of the questions. Maybe go on a couple of rants, you know, some fun stuff. So <laughs> keep uh, keep sending them in. But thanks again, Dan.
2: I enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Good questions. Thanks to everybody.
1: Yeah. Thanks to everyone. Thanks to uh, Dan Weber, uh, all of our sponsors, uh, Trader Joe's and SeatGeek. Appreciate the support. And everyone else, we really appreciate you tuning in and listening to our little show. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible.